The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Gosh, the first thing I want to say is that Ryan Church might be the best affirmer in the Seattle area, maybe even the Northwest. Um, But I think the crazy thing is that God tries to communicate those things, those same expressions of my worth every day. But I rarely sit still enough to listen. And I think the crazier thing The thing that I have such a hard time wrapping my mind around is that he sees through to my innermost self, and still he chooses to call me beloved. I know some of you are thinking, no, he doesn't, because I go through those same doubts. I struggle with that same thing. So that's why tonight... Together, we are going to get into the Word and really digest, take to heart what it means to be called God's beloved. Um, Before we continue, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, my story. So I hail from the greatest city in the state of Washington. That's right. Go Zags. Spokane, shock all the way. Uh, (laughs) I see you, baby. Um, Spokane was an awesome place to grow up, and I appreciate it more every time I go back. Um, We moved to Spokane from Philadelphia when I was one or two years old. I can't really remember. Um, We moved because my dad got called over here to start a pie business. Um... Our family likes to call my dad the pie dough boy. Um, he still has his business today. It's called Cyrus Larry's Pies. Um, we'll get a picture of, up there of uh, some family and work. So down in the bottom right, we see my homies from Teen Challenge, which is a faith-based organization working with addicts, um, people who have been addicted to heroin and meth, and come to this kind of rehabilitation center for 12 months, and it's faith-based. And it changes their lives. Um, So those are some of my good homies that I got to work with this past summer. Um, Chase is in the top left-hand corner. He is a freshman here at the UW. He is quite the hoot. He worked up a sweat before his senior picture. Um... (laughs) And just, uh, he's just represent, representing MJ right there. Um, right in the top middle, that's my dad. And uh, we were at a Kenny Loggins concert. <laughs> I, think, I, I think at this point in the night, we were dancing to Footloose. Um, and then the Queen Bee, as we like to call her, is in the top right corner. Uh, that is my mother. She is the zest to my life. She is 
quite the crazy lady, but she is wonderful. Um, so if you guys have a chance to spot these fine fellows uh, after, after the talk tonight, I would love for you to introduce yourselves to them. Uh, they're special people. Um, speaking of the Zags b-ball team, number one, um, and hearing about the deputation team traveling to Europe, I can't help but think about my childhood. Um, basketball had a huge part in my life. I worshipped Michael Jordan. Um, it was probably unhealthy. I wrote my science papers about Michael Jordan. Don't ask me how. I, you, can, you can do it. It's possible. Uh, I even went to a Chicago Bulls playoff game in 1997 when I was in the second grade. Um, I peed my pants at that game. And the, you want to know why? It's because I, I didn't want to miss a second of that game. Look, I mean, look, looking back, it was definitely worth it, though. Uh, my dad and I would spend hours in the driveway shooting up baskets after school. That was some fun stuff. Um, for AU League, I played with a really elite team. A lot of the guys went on to play D1 football and basketball. We were pretty legit. They were pretty legit. Um, I spent most of my time warming the bench. Uh, it created good conversations, though. I really, I really enjoyed the guys on the team. Um, the whole height thing caught up with me a little bit. I know you all were thinking, thinking that, so don't pretend. Um, but I still love the sport of basketball. I just don't really find my identity in basketball anymore. Um, so yeah, with that, please pray with me. Lord, I do not claim to understand why you have called me beloved and that you have called everyone in this room tonight by the same name. Lord, thank you for using me tonight. Speak through me so that we may better understand your extravagant love for us. Amen. All right, so we're going to get into that good, good stuff now. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 19, 28 through 40 tonight. Uh, it's an account of Jesus' last days uh, leading up to the cross. So if we get the text up there, that'd be great. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. I know you're thinking, what things? But it doesn't matter. He was transitioning from the parable he had just told the disciples. So let's go from here. Uh, when he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this. The Lord has need of it. Okay, so here we see Jesus sending his disciples on this mission to find this colt. This colt that has never been ridden before. 
Um, they're supposed to untie it. But if anyone asks, if anyone is like, hey, dude, that's my colt. <laughs> Their response is to be, the Lord has need of it. What a unique request from the Lord. Sometimes I like to bring biblical accounts to the present and kind of in my world and try to come up with crazy scenarios in my head. So in my mind, when I read this, I was thinking about, like, what if that was, what if I was a disciple? So, but I'm like, what if I was an intern, which I am. So I see myself sitting at my desk and Ryan Church, the R, my boss, comes up to me and he's like, hey, he's like, BK, I need you to go down 45th. And you know Lies Donuts? I need, to take, I need you to take a left at Lies Donuts. There's going to be an alleyway. In the alleyway, you're going to find a red bicycle. I need you to take that red bicycle <laughs> and bring it back here. I need to ride it. <laughs> and if anyone is like, hey, what are you doing with that red bicycle? Just reply, the R has need of it. Sometimes the Lord will ask us to do unexpected acts, even seemingly bizarre things. We need to listen to him, though. He knows what's better. He really does. He has what's best. Uh, Returning to the story, we'll get the text back up. Uh, Verse 32. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them, And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. I think we have to realize that these these disciples have spent 19 chapters leading up to this time building trust. Um, understanding what it looks like to trust Jesus. We're, we're not witnessing blind obedience. So go get me a donkey. Though. Okay, I guess. Uh, it's not like that. Um, who knows how the disciples approached this situation, what their demeanor was? Um, reading through Scripture, though, we see that their obedience is confident at times. Sometimes they're all in. Other times they're very tentative. Um, they're just dipping their toes in the water. Um, What I do know, though, is that both the disciples and the owner of the cult were obedient and they were faithful to the Lord's command. They remained obedient even outside of what they had expected. There are times in my life where I feel like I'm that quavering disciple, uh, not fully on board with what God has for me. Uh, There's other times when I want to grab the goat next door and call it good. Because it's easy to call it good. But the Lord has what's best. Rarely do I find myself trusting and obedient to the areas where the Lord desires to take me. Usually others' voices and my self-doubt get in the way of what God is truly trying to tell me. This is a huge struggle for me. 
As I spend entire days on my own strength, wanting to control my own future, and wanting to make my own choices, because I feel like they're mine, but they're not. But what I have noticed is that the few times I have fully stepped on board, fully bought into where God is taking me, I have seen that he always has what's best. How do we respond to where the Lord desires to take us? This past weekend, I got to go down to Olympia and hear from a longtime congressman named Tony Hall, who is big into uh, world hunger and fighting against it. In 1993, he had a a committee uh, on hunger uh, that he was the chairman of. Uh, Later in 1993, that committee got cut completely, and uh, he went home that night and said to his wife, I'm done. I'm done with politics. But his wife said, hey, come with me. Let's read Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is a chapter on fasting, true fasting, what it means to align our will with the will of God. So he decided to fast. Isaiah 58. He fasted for 22 days on a water diet. Um, and through this, obviously, he's in Congress. He's, there's a lot of talk, publicity, media. And the World Bank calls him after the 22 days. Uh, he's still going. He doesn't know where this thing is going. He's just doing it because he feels like it's where God has him. The World Bank calls him. Hey, Tony, we need you to come to the World Bank conference and share what you've been doing. He got there, shared what he was doing, and they gave him $100 million. This $100 million went to women in Bangladesh for microcredit loans. Um, and today, that $100 million is $500 million. He was obedient. He listened to where God was taking him. On a less than $500 million note, Last year, I found myself not thinking that I would apply for this internship. The money isn't great. Uh, it's not business, which is the area I studied. Um, and it's not, it's not that sexy. Uh, but God called me here. And thank God I listened. Finally, I listened. This year has wrecked me in a lot of ways. But it's totally blown me away at the same time. I've never realized my need for God as much as I have this year. Students have trusted me with their lives. They've shared hardships. And opened up to me about how they see God at work in their lives. Students and staff have led me, honestly, to believe that God is fully at work in my life, far more than I realize. 
So here we see Tony going from this place of skepticism to fully trusting in God, receiving this gift of $100 million for women in Bangladesh. As a 23-year-old, God has me, and he's taken me from a place of fear and anxiety about my future and my identity to being thankful for who God is the relationships in my life, and who God promises to be throughout it all. So we have seen these disciples obedient to Jesus amongst unexpected circumstances, and we find them, find them placing Jesus on this cult. So we'll get scripture back up there. So as he, er, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. A colt. Jesus rides in on a colt. Colts and donkeys at this time uh, symbolized peace. While if someone had ridden in on a horse, uh, they were bent on war. At this time, the Jews had been under Roman rule and were expecting this mighty, awesome warrior king to come and bring the Jewish nation victory. This is the height of Jesus' popularity. Everyone has heard of Jesus at this point. They thought that this would be his 15 minutes of fame, his triumphal entry. People are like, dude, sick miracles, awesome healing processes, but now, now it's time to whoop some booty, let's conquer some Romans, let's do our thing, take it over. So... His belovedness with the crowd would change in the next couple days, as we see. He's on the cross. These people have betrayed him. But Jesus rests in the fact that his father has called him beloved. That's the simple fact that he rests in. That's all he needs to know. He is beloved, and that is constant. That is never changing. He was focused on what he came to do. It must have hurt him to look at the crowd and know that they would turn on him. William Barclay, a Scottish theologian from the 20th century, puts it perfectly. Jesus approached Jerusalem with the shout of the mob hailing a conqueror in his ears. And it must have hurt him, for they were looking at him for that very thing which he refused to be. This was a king that was unlikely, a king they did not expect. He came in humility. He came as the prince of peace. I think I lose lose sight of Jesus' humanness quite often. Uh, I can't imagine the temptation I would feel to be like riding on the donkey, Hey, sweet parade. Thank you guys so much. 
I, I got to go back to Bethany. I, uh, I, the, a donkey, I have to return a donkey. Um, that's, I mean, I'd be, thanks guys. I'll see you guys later. As he was riding through this crowd, I reflect on Luke 4, 5 through 8 as well. Is the temptation of Jesus by Satan? Satan takes him up, looking over all the world, and he says, Jesus, I will give you all of this. I will give you all authority and glory. It's yours. Take it. But Jesus doesn't because he knows he's in the Father. Wow. And now here we see him, our king, riding into Jerusalem on his way to the cross to die. He was obedient from birth to the cross. His earthly life purpose was to glorify God, love lavishly, and to save the very people who put him on the cross, and he wasn't about to be held up by anything of this world. So Jesus is being praised off yin-yang. Um, we'll get back to verse, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, he answered. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It's like, boom, mic drop. <laughs> That's epic. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Holy smokes. I don't know how I would respond. It's crazy. What these two verses tell me is that the worship of the Lord is inevitable. Jesus didn't need us. Yet, here's the, here's the twist in the whole, the whole story of the history of the earth. He chose to humble himself and become the lowliest of servants and die a humiliating death so that we may have an eternal home with him. This is proof that Jesus isn't a product. It's not just a religion. We can't convert people with Jesus. This is the one true king. All we can do is respond to this crazy love. That's all we can do. Three summers ago, I had the opportunity to go on deputation. It was awesome. I got to go to Kenya, Kenya and work in an orphanage with 90 beautiful, freaking awesome ankle-biter children. They were great. It was one of my first days there, and I met a five-year-old girl named Miriam. Miriam was this, she was this shy, this, she was this shy girl, but she had this warmth, this glow. She had this, she had this amazing love about her, and uh, I was amazed. I soon found out about Miriam's history, Miriam was born in a Kenyan village to a mother, father who didn't want her. Uh, so she was thrown down a latrine. 
I, I don't know if y'all know what a latrine is. I, I didn't at the time, so I asked. And uh, a latrine is a communal hole in the ground where a village would go to the bathroom. Miriam's cries were heard by a neighbor who rescued her. This neighbor went to get a birth certificate for this baby. Often in Kenya, what they do with orphan babies is take them and they give them the identity of where they were found. Latrine. That was her identity. That was her name. She was brought, she was brought to Rafiki, and uh, from then on, she was to be called Miriam. I, f- I actually found this out two and a half years later, but the name Miriam means beloved. She was given the name Beloved. This is her now, full of joy and learning new things about about Christ's love every day. You guys, being the beloved expresses the truth, the core truth of our existence. I just want us to rest in that for five seconds. We see it here in this story of Luke that we've just read. Story of our king on his way to the cross. Henry Nouwen writes in his book, Life of the Beloved. You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. That voice has always been there. But it seems that I was much more eager to listen to other louder voices saying, prove that you are worth something. Do something relevant, spectacular, or powerful. And then, only then you will earn the love you so desire. Meanwhile, the soft, gentle voice that speaks in the silence and solitude of my heart remained unheard, or at least unconvincing. Jesus was not simply obedient to his father, because he was Jesus. And that's simply what Jesus does. No, it's not that way. He firmly dwelled 
in the core truth that he was the beloved son of God. This is the only way he could be obedient. Why else would he be obedient? Just as I saw Miriam live into her new identity, knowing she is beloved and nothing else, we need to do the same. I stand up here right now, and I go days not truly believing that what that means, how that changes my life, how I see people because I'm beloved. There's a lot of people in this room tonight who have never believed that. There's people out there that, we, that I walk past every day who don't know that. It's for everybody. The core of us is not a human intern. It's not an engineer. It's not a pornography addicted dude. It's not a girl with body image problems. The core of us is that we are God's beloved. Jesus first believed that he was beloved and that his belovedness is never changing. And out of this true sense of understanding, he was obedient to the cross. Because of this, because of what Jesus did, the cross has turned into a an overwhelming symbol of our belovedness. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, sometimes I don't know why I'm standing up here. Lord, thank you for using me, choosing me, choosing everyone in this room as your beloved. I pray that we hold on to this promise and this truth about our existence, about why we are here, Lord. Lord, thank you that you have called us beloved. I pray that we would start living like that. In your name. In your holy name, amen.